0: in Brooklyn doing a show at Ample Hills Creamery which is a lovely ice cream shop so please come through that should be a lot of fun. I am going to be headlining at the Hollywood Improv on September 11th that is this Sunday at 7 p.m at The Lab so that is the smaller room at the Hollywood Improv but I will be headlining there it's a really excellent lineup. Uh, The show is called Grace Jung and Friends the ticket link is in My Instagram bio, you could also find it on gracejungcomedy.com. I really, really hope you can make it to this special night. It's my first time headlining at the improv and it is a big step for me in my comedy career. So I really hope you can make it and I really appreciate your kind support. Today, I'm going to be talking about the show Startup, which is a 2020K drama that came out on TVN. It's currently on Netflix. It's written by Pak Hydeon, who I noticed also wrote for this old Korean sitcom that I used to watch called Nonstop. And she's written a few other Korean dramas since then. And I haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen any one of her shows. Um, They're kind of catered to the younger crowd. That's probably why I miss them. But, um, yeah, I I saw Startup because a lot of my UCLA students recommended it to me back when I was still teaching. And, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by some of the freshness that this show had. First of all, it has a fresh twist on the love triangle. But I thought it was a little weird because I'm like, I I don't see why the the guy who wrote the letter pretending to be Tosan was in love with Taimi. Like there weren't that many opportunities for him to fall in love with her. So by the time I found out that they were in love, I mean he was in love with her. I was like, that's a little odd. I, I don't really understand what that what the deal is with that. I thought the fact that Namdozan had a dream to become a successful entrepreneur uh, as a tech with his own startup, I thought that was very clear. But Taemyeong's dream um was not very clear it's like okay so she wants to become an entrepreneur but like doing what you know it just seemed like any random business can fall into her lap and she'd be down for it you know so maybe her dream is just to be a ceo her dream is just to be a leader i mean i guess that's valid but it's also like i mean there must be something like some industry or some area that you know she's interested in but that was very very vague I really appreciated how this show explores some real challenges that young people face, which is primarily imposter syndrome, right? So you have like Taimi, who's struggling uh, with all these, you know, these self-doubting moments, even though she's greatly determined to succeed as an entrepreneur. And then you have Tusan who is struggling to succeed as uh, somebody who is an entrepreneur in the tech startup uh, area, but he lacks experience. So they both want something with great passion and desire, but there are these little limiting aspects in the way. And I feel like that's a very relevant um, problem for many young people because you have a vision for yourself, uh, but there are these massive holes and gaps um, in how you're gonna be achieving those things, right? And that's very real. So I find that very relatable. I thought the show was very sympathetic to these very real feelings. The tension between the two sisters, Dalmi and Inje, reminds me a lot of the whole Kongji, Pachi kind of folktale storytelling, which stems from the Joseon dynasty. And it's like a blended family situation. You have like a stepmother and a stepsister, and then you have the, the original sister, I guess you could call her. Um, her father died, and so she's like under the, the influence of her evil stepmother and her evil st- stepsister. Of course, she's mistreated, and the other one is greedy, and then the the mistreated one wins because she is a very hardworking, devoted um, kind of person. Uh, so it has these intense Cinderella vibes, but unlike Kungchi and Pachi, uh, you should just look up the original story. The original folktale is like all over the internet. It's um, it's it's a bit tragic in some ways, but it's interesting, and it's although it, it's kind of like Cinderella, they're still very very different. But unlike Kwon and Pachi, uh, the sister tension between Inje and Taimi is one of friendly and healthy rivalry. So they kind of sharpen each other's ambitions, even though they have some resentment that they're harboring towards each other. Right? Um, I thought it was interesting how Inje, who is this powerful CEO, a very determined woman, she is primarily hung up with family problems. Like it seems like love and romance is not at all in her arena or in her atmosphere it's like she she's got a very asexual vibe and i'm wondering like is that is that a marker of a successful career woman um even the uh the head honcho the woman who like owns all of sandbox you know the woman with the gray hair like i also don't know what her family situation is like does she have a partner does she have children it's like it was very very vague and it seems like when women are in these powerful positions Uh, they just suddenly appear asexual. I thought that was a little weird, but it's a definite pattern. Um, The use of the diaspora Korean actors on this show was also very interesting. And uh, both of the characters have a very stuck-up vibe. So you have Stephanie Lee, who plays HaHa, the lawyer slash designer on this show, who initially comes off as a huge bitch, right? And then you have Alex, played by Jasper Cho, another very arrogant dude. And it's like, what's the deal, right? Jasper Cho grew up in Canada, whereas Stephanie Lee grew up in Michigan. So they're both um, Korean, but they grew up in North America and they're both fluent in both languages, Korean and English. But I've noticed time and time again, that when, uh, Korean dramas have a Korean American, um, character, they usually appear in a somewhat negative light so they're often very greedy and they're often very arrogant and i think it's a projection that is somewhat loaded with resentment so i mean i don't take it personally but it is just a pattern that i'm noticing my guest today is joe beal he is a los angeles-based artist uh, very very talented guy he also teaches at cal state fullerton Um, we had a very Interesting and rich conversation about uh, being a creative um, and all the uh, benefits and problems and realities that come with that kind of role in this lifetime. And it was a super fun chat. So let's talk to Joe Beal. Wonderful. Thanks for making the time. Happy we're talking.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here for sure. Uh, I, I mean, your podcast, I listened to a bunch of your podcasts and your, your, also your stand-up is it's really good
0: oh thanks I, that's so nice thanks no i'm a I'm a big fan of your work too so um that means a lot uh,
2: I, I appreciate it
0: yeah um actually i I'm, I'm i'm gonna be headlining for the first time at a club here in l a on uh, September eleventh so if you're free please feel free to come by
1: So um, here's a, i would normally come but i my my nephew is literally getting married that day. Oh, in new york wow. so i will be there
0: on september 11th He's otherwise i
1: absolutely well actually he's getting married on the 10th but the next day more family stuff is, is got happen. it so i'm really got sorry it. to miss you though. I'd love to do it. it's yeah. all good
0: i'm actually i'm actually going to new york on sunday i'm going to be there for about six days are you mm-hmm. yeah
1: we're actually going to be overlapping you should oh, oh shit. well you probably are super busy i Not mean really my fiance Not would really. love to be-
0: yeah. Maybe, okay. No. We'll Let's make it. time. <laughs> if you guys have time, if you guys have time, I'm around, I, you know,
1: I think we do actually. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to her. But I think we actually absolutely have time. I mean, aside from crazy family drama stuff that will be happening for sure. No yeah, question. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to have a break from that, actually.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's hang out. Um, yeah, I'm going to go primarily for US Open. Um, I'm a big tennis fan. Do you play tennis? Oh,
1: I played serious tennis when I was a kid. I, I've been to the US Open once and I honestly would love to go. I mean, I don't know if I could afford it. I would love to go to the semis or the finals, but I probably can't. But yeah, it's amazing. I mean, do you already have your tickets?
0: i yeah i'm a big fan so i and you know what the tickets are not that expensive like i i have i have american express i i have semifinal tickets yeah no no i'm sorry i have quarterfinal tickets i have quarterfinal tickets quarterfinals are really good because it's a good deal also you get to see the women's and the men's with the quarterfinal tickets and right. it's always a good right. time, like, and really, really strong players are wow. in that lineup. So, yeah, I always get quarterfinal oh. tickets. Um, yeah. Well, I'm that's stoked. cool. You know,
1: I, I'm, I'm a huge tennis fan. I mean, I played, I wanted to be a pro when I was, I started playing when I was five and I wasn't quite wow. good enough, but I was yeah. on that edge of thinking of trying it when, this is back in the seventies, yeah. Um, yeah, late seventies, early eighties. So yeah. this was starting to take off. Sure. I actually had an abusive tennis coach who wow. I think would be in jail today. You know, I was like eight years old and to teach me a lesson to, to move my feet at the net, he yeah. drilled a 90 mile an hour or whatever, super hard forehand and gave me a black eye. Hit me <gasps> in the face, man. I mean, that's and, fucked up. this is how fucked up I was. I, I lied to my parents because I didn't want him to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so messed yeah. up, man. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think that's days. normal.
0: That's normal of children to like try to um, sort of curb like conflict you know to sort of like kind of pad things so that there's no conflict as children don't like to be the cause of conflict or be around conflict it makes them feel more unsafe so uh there's a pro tennis player who used to train pretty hard and then he had two wrist injuries because it does sort of like it's hard on your wrists. so he went into surgery and then that was over but now now he's a comedian (laughs) so that's really that's yeah yeah it? yeah uh jeff jeff Sesnick, i think um he like i took oh, one tennis lesson with him right yeah uh i took really? one tennis lesson with him and yeah it was it was interesting yeah 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 are you still He's playing
1: like, do you play a lot still
0: i don't play a lot i just play like when I feel like it, and if there's another person who like feels like playing with me, that's when I play, but not often. Right. Um, I like yeah. it though. I like playing tennis. Me too. Um, me yeah. too although
1: oh. lately pickleball has totally taken over. I mean, I,
0: I have heard to say. you and Marissa play a lot of pickleball, right?
1: Yeah, we just I just saw her last night actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. I mean, the thing that's interesting about pickleball is that it's like, you know, I I never played. I quit playing competitively after high school, so I don't even uh-huh. play like league or whatever but it's a pretty not friendly world i mean pickleball is super community-based and really people yeah. are, it's like i hang i go bowling and go drinking with my friends from pickleball man you never fucking do that with tennis or i never did i don't know man it's like yeah it's a really different kind of yeah thing, I guess. for some reason yeah. i'm not sure why
0: i'm not sure why either and that's actually interesting to hear because um wait did you did you grow up in california or where'd you grow up
1: no, I grew up, weirdly, I grew up in the, in, in, in the Midwest, in Iowa, although my parents are from New York City, my mom's from the Bronx, and my dad was from Brooklyn, but, you know, my, they're both classical musicians, and met at Juilliard, actually, but my dad really didn't love that. My dad was like a child prodigy violinist, like, for real, like, he, he, w- he didn't even go to school, he studied with the same guy that Itzhak Perlman and Pinka Zuckerman studied with, and he knew those guys, but my dad was just not quite the top, top level. Right, I mean, it's just like in tennis, you know. Um, So he ended up taking an academic teaching job. He kind of just wanted a normal life, Um, and it was this little private college in in Des Moines called Drake University. So, um, Mm -hmm. so I had a weird upbringing because, like, in my household, it was very East Coast Jewish, you know, whatever. But it was in the middle of the Midwest. So, yeah. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't bad. I mean, I still like the Midwest, although I definitely don't think I want to live there. I've never lived in New York I mean we went to New York I mean like at least once or twice a year my whole life so I kind of knew it in that way but somehow I always assumed because I started you know I started studying privately as an art with with an artist when I was seven and I always thought I'd move there but in the end I never did I've never Mm. lived there I mean I love New York I do love it but yeah um, I don't know Los Angeles ultimately when I was when it really came down to it it's just like the old thing if you study art history, artists move to places that are affordable, and in two thousand I moved to l a and it really was ridiculously affordable compared to New York or San Francisco, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, now it's a little less, maybe for a young artist, but I mean, it was great then. yeah
0: yeah um i I think that's still kind of true today, like not by yeah. much by any means, but. Well,
1: you Anything know, cheaper than New York or San Francisco. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. yeah. Like I remember like a friend, she's oh. a chef. She was living in San Francisco. She was yeah. working at, you know, Bennu? That yeah. uh, okay. So she was a like a like a line cook there or something. Wow. Um, and she even though she was working at Bennu, like yeah. this, you know, like fucking top top tier restaurant, she was um room she was living in the living room of a two bedroom apartment with two other roommates and the three of them would carpool together by pooling their money together and then they would buy like one slice of pizza and share it like and and, and she was working full time
1: oh my god <laughs> i mean i i actually never had to do that i have to say i i uh <laughs> yeah it makes me think of that show the bear have you seen that show the bear
0: no, I haven't.
1: Oh man, it's on Netflix. It's about a a Michelin chef whose like brother commits suicide and runs this little sandwich shop in Chicago. And oh, okay. It, it's really, um, I, everybody. I know a few people in the in the food industry, and I mean, they love it, but it gives them P- it gives them PTSD because it's so ridiculously realistic. It's
0: rough. It's I rough. never.
1: Yeah, man. I mean,
0: did you I, ever work in restaurants before?
1: Uh here's my exclusive restaurant experience. The summer after my freshman year in college in Des Moines, Iowa, I worked for this place, which was an Italian mob run restaurant. Although these mobsters were like the the flunkies, the guys who didn't make it in New York had to go to Des Moines, (laughs) Iowa. Like, you know, it was literally like Goodfellas light. Like if you made noise busing, I was only a bus boy, but if you made noise busing tables, you supposedly got fired on the spot. So we'd fucking like wrap dishes and you know, wrap dishes and towels and napkins trying not to get our asses fired. <laughs> the last straw was I, they made us do all this stupid sh- other shit that we shouldn't have had to do. Like, I remember we were cleaning the tiles behind the, the food line. Yeah. Me and this other guy, we were on the ladder, you know, scrubbing the tile. And yeah, some water dropped, dripped into a light a, a, a power socket and, and it literally shot him off his ladder. <gasps> and I was like, dude, I'm fucking out of here, man. I quit yeah. right there on the spot. So, yeah, I didn't have to deal with it. See, too
0: <laughs> you're so you're so wise because you know like a lot of people who work in restaurants like I think this is also kind of like social conditioning especially in the United States where they say like oh you have to pay your dues meaning you have to do some slave work when you're starting out in an industry yeah. or starting out as a young person right. you know like unpaid internships is just a given here yeah um you know like working on set for free it's yeah. a given here. Fuck that, uh,
1: yeah, man. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's really funny we're talking about this because when I was in recovery from depression and anxiety, I took one semester off from teaching. And like, I pretty much realized that all the bullshit cliches that you get fed in school or whatever, you have to learn the rules before you break them. I'm just like, I actually was an art history major and I realized a lot of the great artists didn't do that. They yeah. just made really cool shit right away. Yeah, Fuck
0: that yeah. Love, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I they, totally they, agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, so you you teach art as well. I know Me that too. you're an artist.
1: Yeah. I teach at Cal I, State. I teach at Cal State University in Fullerton, which is near. You know, it's in Orange County. It's right, really, right around the corner from from Disneyland. So it's right, basically, Anaheim, Fullerton. Yeah, and Anaheim Nick.
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. And,
1: I mean, I actually I love my job. Actually, you know, yeah. um, it, teach, I, teaching is something that I got into pretty much for practical reasons in grad school, but I really dig it. My dad was an amazingly good teacher, I have to say. And I think I le- both my parents taught and I watched them teach. Yeah. And I was also incredibly lucky and started studying literally with a private teacher when I was seven years old as an yeah. artist. I mean, It's all I've ever wanted to do. So. Like visual
0: I, art, visual art. Yeah,
1: I, I started studying drawing and like, it's interesting because the guy was, the guy was from New York originally. He actually went to high school with my mom at the high school of music and art back wow. in the late 40s. Wow. Uh, and they never met until they met in Des Moines, Iowa, which is crazy. They lived, they lived like a half a mile away from each other. Crazy.
0: Isn't that Synchronicity. weird? Synchronicity. Yeah, yeah, it was meant to be.
1: Mm-hmm. But he did not. Treat, he, dude, he kicked my ass. I remember when I was seven, he was like, we were, he had me drawing objects and he, he'd he be like, dude, that's not right. Do it the right way. He's practically wrapping my knuckles. And it was, it was like an old school apprenticeship, which Interestingly, yeah. exists in many other fields but for some reason in in our culture now yeah. people tend to study art that way I'm not sure why
2: huh do they
1: do with sports with music with dance you know my ex-wife Hillary was an amazing ballet dancer
2: yeah
1: and, I mean but for some reason with art it's not very common for people to study young I'm, yeah. not, sure why. I'm not sure why hmm
0: no I also took private art lessons Did from you? great yeah from grade oh, really? school to middle school
1: so where, where was that was that are you from los angeles originally or
0: i'm from new york originally oh,
1: okay all right yeah. yeah
0: um but yeah like i took private wow. lessons with like you know just like local Korean American artist people, they had these little um, like after school kind of they call it a hagwon. It's very like common among a- like East Asian Americans, especially okay. and yeah. in Korea and in Japan uh-huh. and probably Taiwan you know and Hong Kong. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, I, I took lessons there and I kind of got the basics down from there. But after that, after middle school, I never took lessons again. So like I kind of have this like I love to like paint and stuff yeah. but I have this massive insecurity when it comes to it because I think as I think like oh I'm not technically advanced or I'm not technically equipped to uh do something you know that's very um like detail oriented or blah 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 it's like I get in my head a lot by so, the way um, yeah. I-, I
1: feel exactly the same way about myself really oh yeah
0: that's madness no. really
1: it's, uh, absolutely dude i mean my, you know like when i go to the metropolitan museum of art and i walk through like the you know the early renaissance you know like yeah. North european stuff i'm yeah. just like my shit looks like you know jackson pollock i mean it's really it's really disheartening now well, here's the deal yeah the yeah. imposter syndrome right yeah, Everybody yeah. Has it. I, I i always tell this to my students when you know, one time i was listening to to, to uh, fresh air with terry gross on npr yeah he was interviewing the actor gene hackman you know like that yeah. guy like he's an amazing actor he's uh-huh. been a, 300 movies. He's yeah. like your actor's actor, right? Yeah, yeah. So she starts the interview, he says, I don't remember the exact, but she says something like, Well, Gene Hackman, it's great to have you. You know, it must be amazing to, to be at the height of your career, knowing you're, you know, a great actor and you have all this, you know, law, love, everybody loves you. And he goes, yeah. Well, Terry the truth is, at the beginning of every film I've ever shot, every day right before the first day of shooting, I go in the bathroom and throw up because I feel like a fraud. Wow. And I was just like, dude, wow. gee, fucking Hackman feels that way. Then yeah. we are all, it's just how it is, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah. It's really how we feel about ourselves. It's really, it's the self imposed pressure. Cool. It's the authority figures that just we've internalized in our brains. Like uh, when you were talking about how, like, you're, when you were like a, this child and your, your uh, art teacher was kind of giving you shit, like, that was kind of like my dad because my dad like neither of my parents are educated like they grew up in bumfuck farms in korea you know poverty ridden no education to speak of um and you know but my dad wanted to be a visual artist and he's actually really really talented and i noticed that you do a lot of pencil work, just pencil yeah. and paper. Yeah. My, my dad is also, he does like a lot of pencil sketches. And, and if he does do painting that he prefers watercolor, like that's his I favorite. love watercolor.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: I, I know. Cause I, I saw your amazing yeah. piece at the Great. gallery. You. Um, and you know, like when I was younger, sometimes he, he and I would kind of draw together, but he would always like give me shit like in the middle of it, you know? Cause I'm drawing like a child. And his expectations is to, is beyond that. Right. I mean, so, is, right. yeah. So there were times when like, I would be painting something and it's like a struggle. Like whenever we're working on anything, it is, it is kind of a struggle because we are challenging ourselves by doing the thing. But at the same time, we want to master yeah. it. Like we want to figure it out. Yeah. So when you're in that mode, like I hear his voice in my head, you know, oh, like, yeah. And, and like, I would ask other artists, like, do you ever have that? And they're like, no, I'm usually just like in the zone and in the flow and everything falls away. I'm like, really? Like,
1: I, well, I'm not calling them, I don't want to call them liars, but dude, I definitely have it still. I mean, my, <laughs> Thank my, you. My, so this is what my teacher used to do to me when I was like seven, between the ages of seven and 10, right? Yeah. There's a famous German Renaissance artist named Albrecht Durer. He did that famous yeah. painting of the hair you know, the okay. amazing drawing or the praying hands that you see all the time. Yes, that, yes. That purgatory pizza uses. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. Okay. So Durer was like a child prodigy. He did this famous self-portrait when he was 13 years old. And it is, you cannot fucking believe this thing. Yeah. So, so I, so he showed it to me one day when I was like eight and he goes, and he, then like, as I would study with him year to year, he goes up. Oh, you only got five years left to catch him. You only oh got four years God. left. Oh my God. Because he was from the Bronx. He was a Jewish. Sorta, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. But I was just like, Dude, I really and I actually thought I could catch him, but I did not. <laughs> I definitely. <laughs> okay, failed. okay.
0: So you know what it is? It's it's a it's not an all artist thing. It's probably you and I had abusive teachers. We had like abusive authority figures. That's Maybe why yeah. that's why we're like eternally broken up here. It's okay. Hey man, it's but you just, know what?
1: Yeah, being broken has its advantages because you got good content from that shit, man. <laughs> Come on, Come on yeah. man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know there are plenty of people who just like they're just so at ease and relaxed and they just do whatever and they're like cool with it Uh and I'm like (laughs) how how do you not like over prepare like to the end and like fucking go through hell to do like even this podcast like the nightmares and the self-doubt and the war and the blah blah blah, like in with myself you know
1: I understand but I gotta say you've got your pot you are a natural i mean, mm. you, I well now you're not gonna fucking believe me because we have the imposter syndrome so the more i say the worse this is gonna be i'm sorry to say, yeah. but i'm still gonna i i mean you definitely feel like you it's it, it you you have a natural you're like a duck in water with a podcast thing i think but Thanks. that's just how i feel
0: thank you because I, I have a
1: podcast and i am not mine's you know mine is amateur hour i mean yeah. i mean it's okay i'm an artist i'm not a broadcaster yeah
0: it's yeah fun.
1: But no. I mean, I, I think that you have a good way of engaging with people and being aware of the media. And mm. in in it's interesting. I, it's like if we were playing pickleball or tennis, I would say you have good court awareness. Like you, <laughs> I'm serious that, that not everybody does, mm. you know, like they don't really like you have to be able to kind of feel where you are on the court without having to look. It's like, a, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another it's like this other sense it's like an intuitiveness yeah yeah, I yeah and that's what when you mean. can do
1: amazing stuff because because then your muscle memory takes care of stuff mm-hmm. and you can then focus on like what you're really hoping to me and even as an artist is that you want to come up with something that you as actually better than you
2: mm-hmm. right
1: and so like like I remember watching actually you know I was watching this pickleball tournament last summer and this guy named Matt Wright hit a what's called a, and you know what an ATP is, you know, when you hit it around the post in tennis, like okay. if somebody hits it way out wide and you run and you you hit it, so it goes angles past the post, not over the net, and it goes, uh-huh. the front, That's and it's really hard to do in pickleball. And yeah. this guy, I mean, this was physically impossible. I'm yeah. sure this guy just reacted, like there's no way he thought about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude, I, I mean, you could not believe your eyes. And like, yeah. I was remember thinking like, that's what artists hope they can do in the moment whatever mm. your form is
0: yeah and and that comes with a lot of self-trust doesn't it It just well,
1: plus you, just with hundreds of hours of sweating it out man you you got to put the work in
0: the practice yeah
1: and I mean I think that's that's where I, even though I'm really interested in contemporary art and all forms of art I, I still think I still really believe in the thousand hours you know yeah whatever. I mean yeah
0: um why do you do pencil like what what is it about pencil that is like I mean because I see it in all of your work I was kind of looking yeah. at your old stuff I'm like oh he does a lot of pencil like what draws you to pencil specifically
1: I mean I probably, I can answer that it's, it's a little bit of a layered answer if that's okay um, yeah. well first of all I think you know for me and this is just full disclosure I, I find painting horribly difficult for whatever reason. Although I am now painting. I mean, I'm doing, I'm starting a series of three massive pieces, including a sequel to the big TV piece. These are not going to be drawings. They're going to be paintings on panel. So, full wow. Wow. and, but so on the other hand, drawing is like my natural habitat. You know what I mean? Like I was always really good at it. And I mean, I don't know. So I guess, I guess the thing is when you have a natural ability it's like a double-edged sword. On one hand, you don't wanna sit back on it and be lame.
2: Yeah. right? You,
1: you wanna challenge yourself. But on the other hand, it, if you really master it and, and really feel comfortable in it, you can, you can say a lot of great things because you have a comfort with it. And comfort yeah. does not have to mean complacency if yeah. you have an inspired idea. So for me, drawing has always been that way. And, mm-hmm. and I will, I'm certainly gonna to continue to make drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, but now this is the other side of the coin. I think one of my problems as a person and, you know, therefore as an artist in the past has been that I was afraid of life and I talked myself into hating painting. Hmm. And, and I love color, but I hated using color. And I realized after, during my depression recovery that it, was, it had nothing to do with art, even though I would hide behind it. I would always say I just love drawing. The truth is, I, I I was afraid of the messiness of painting and the subjectivity of color, which yeah. makes your life a lot more complicated as an artist. There's no doubt. Right. I'm not saying it's better, but uh, once I faced that unpleasant reality about my personality, I suddenly started making paintings again. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure that my previous answer is actually true. For anyway.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, I love that. No, our our answers, the ones that we gave in the past, they they evolve as we change, and you know, it's like, let me ask you this: When you paint, how do you feel now?
1: I love it. I here's the thing, you know, can I tell you a quick story about my recovery? Of course, of course, please. I I I, in my one of my huge problems in the past, and I still have to fight it, but I was pathologically nostalgic, meaning like even though my ex-wife and I split up and there's no question that we're not supposed to be together. I don't want to get back and neither does she for sure. Yeah. But I would still like, if I saw a ticket stub from like 2007 when we saw Forrest Gump, well, that's not the right here, but you get what I'm
0: talking yeah. about. Yeah.
1: I would start crying or a practice. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like to the point of insanity, right? Yeah. So I literally could not go to grocery stores, particularly Whole Foods, just because we used to go there to it together. It's just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. So when I'm,
1: I'm in Illinois doing, doing my recovery program and it, it comes up, and I'm like, I can't go to grocery stores because of this problem. Yeah. And so my therapist gave me this like five step thing to do. Mm-hmm. And Turns out you can get over trauma if you break it down into tiny bite-sized pieces mm. until until they're manageable. Mm-hmm. So she said, first day you go to this grocery store, you drive around the parking lot, you leave. Second uh-huh. day, you go, you park, you get out, you go to the door, you can't go in, you leave.
2: Mm-hmm. Third day,
1: you go in, you buy one bottle of water, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Fifth day, you can do whatever you want. And, and all, for the first four days, I did exactly what she told me to do. I felt like a fucking loser, dude. Yeah. I was, this is pathetic, man. Yeah. But I just did it. Fifth day I went and I, I was fine and I've never had a problem with it again. Wild. And I started doing that for everything. So I guess my point is, it's the same thing with art, right? It's like when you have a problem with something, it turns out if you, it, if I have a big piece and you know, that, that big piece, if that show took me five years, right? Yeah. Ridiculously yeah. long. But now with painting, even though it's hard for me, if I just slow it down, and if, I, if, I, if I'm painting a hand and I can't get it in five hours, I'm like, fuck it, it's going to be 10 hours. Let's yeah. say it's, maybe it's 10 days. And if I just keep backing up until it's manageable, mm-hmm. I have no problem. Yeah. I'll get it. Yeah, you know, yeah.
0: And, but and yeah. No, it's exactly the opposite of what your teacher said to you.
1: Kind of. Although yeah. one of the things he said that I, I forgot, he said it's better to do an hour of good work and and stop if your concentration snaps. Mm. Then to do five hours of mediocre, unfocused work. Mm. So in a way, that actually is the same thing from a different angle. Because yeah. that, because if you do that, then you slow it down. And I am like the OCD. I'm or sorry, the, the um, ADHD painter. Like I literally paint for ten minutes, and then I'm like on my phone. Basically, if you saw me, if there was a video camera on me painting, yeah. you would think I was a fucking flake, man. I mean, <laughs> I I. But you di- I don't care, man. I really don't care. It's like, we all
0: have our own process.
1: Absolutely, man. And like most artists don't admit it, but the things you have to do to even start the engine is like, oh my god! I mean, you know, I, you know, my, I, I love poetry and I, I, I remember hearing an the interview with John Ashbery, who I think died. Recently.
0: I love John Ashbery. Me too, yeah. man.
1: He's my, one of my, uh, so anyway, he basically said he would get up at like 10 in the morning or nine and he literally spends all day not writing. Mm-hmm fretting about it, like taking the dog out. And then about five 30, you know, his, his mate, his David, whatever, his Kermani, his mm-hmm. longtime husband
2: mm-hmm.
1: is about to come home from work. And he's like, dude, maybe I, you know he's like boiling the rice or whatever. Maybe I should start writing. Mm-hmm. And he just said he would. And then boom, it just like flows.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, did he waste all day? I mean, I'd say no, no, but no. he might say yes because he probably feels guilty. Yeah, know, that's what it up. takes.
0: Yeah. I totally understand it. Yeah. It's like uh i I think all artists, a lot of writers uh have have that morning ritual, like do you have like a morning ritual or when you wake up like Definitely. There, what's your what's I, your ritual?
1: Well, I get up insanely early it's since my recover- I feel like somebody who got hit by lightning and like whose personality radically altered and more in my 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 habits. I used to not be able to get out of bed. I wake up at four or five even if I have been out drinking all night and I just got home at four wow. thirty wow. I will. There's exceptions, but seriously. So my morning ritual is I get up, um, I, I take a bath, I do mm-hmm. yoga every mm-hmm. day, man, or else I'm not gonna be able to move. Yeah. Um, and then I make Shin Ramen with two eggs. And I read, <laughs> I read, I read, I, I read the BBC wow. while I'm listening to like really sappy classical music.
0: Nice. Well, not even
1: sappy, but whatever, just whatever. Nice, I um, amazing. Yeah, and then, and then I watch Tennis Highlights. If there's nice. a tournament for sure.
0: Nice.
1: But like nice. what, what's yours? Uh
0: well, lately it's um I make tea. There's this uh green tea I really love. It's uh the kyoko the kyokuro one. It's um Japanese green tea. Yeah. I make that and it's like a very sensitive tea, so like water has to be a certain temperature. Like I like the whole like ritual of like putting it out and making it and da-da-da. So I make that and then I I do a tarot card reading
1: oh that's cool
0: yeah and then I'll do a tarot card right here oh shit oh is that the hanged man yeah it is nice yeah that's a good one yeah yeah
1: Yeah. that's cool every day you do a tarot reading that's amazing
0: yeah yeah just you know because I I've been learning since last fall like kind of teaching it myself and you know it's just like fun to do and kind of see where I'm at um oh I do I do morning pages as soon as I wake up that's like a must morning pages so I write three pages of whatever oh that's yeah usually I have like I don't know if you recall vivid dreams but I have very vivid dreams so I'll record that
1: that's that's great
0: um and then I do my tarot card reading and then I and then I'll do yoga as well
1: yeah. yeah, I like yoga. Yoga really—that's really cool that you. I forgot to tell you. Sorry, I also do a gratitude list like that before I even get up. Oh,
0: out. that's great. Well, that was the first thing I did
1: that helped me on the road to recovery, which is interesting. That so, the reason I forgot to tell you is it's just so automatic. I sometimes just do it in my head before I like go yeah. in bed or whatever. But. Yeah,
0: it's like a nice way to ground yourself in prayer to kind of appreciate yourself and the universe and it does help with depression like my friend uh, I have a friend in Israel named Shira and Mm -hmm. uh you know she was kind of going through a rough time like she was just at a cafe and she was just kind of asking like the world like what is life like why am I here you know and that's usually what a depressed person asks somebody who's like borderline suicidal has those very questions (laughs) and she was just watching right she was just watching a a cafe worker have a conversation with a woman who just looked like she really needed coffee and then this cafe lady was like oh we don't have coffee i mean we have coffee but we don't the water's not boiling Mm -hmm. and the lady was like ah and then she walked out and then the lady came back in and then she was like i'll just take i'll just take that coffee just mix it with the cold water i'll just have and the lady was it's going to be like shit and and the lady said it's better than nothing and Shira was like oh you know, she's like, why, yeah. God, why, why did you give me life on earth? And that it like, it's better than nothing. And I was like, that's so short and concise and profound. Yeah. And that's usually how the divine speaks, right? It's right. so yeah. usually, usually how, how, yeah. the, how it moves us, right? That's why you yeah. have poets like Ashbury that they write in poems because that's usually, yeah. it's like a divine form of voice. Yeah. I love that. Good. I, love I know,
1: Actually, It also reminds me of Rilke's, um, what what is those, uh, the late, the, oh man, the Duino elegies. Have you ever read those?
0: Long time ago. Long, yeah, man, long time
1: ago. I mean, you know, dude, he's German and he's heavy, but, <laughs> but, but he's
0: beautiful. He's a beautiful writer. Oh, man,
1: yeah. I mean, actually one of them, I can't remember what the seventh, I can't remember the number. It doesn't matter. One yeah. of them basically is, says what you just said. Exactly. Really, I mean, his own German way, but
0: it's better than nothing.
1: Well, he's talking about how, how a god speaks, but how can we speak about? Oh, it? I see. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I actually, I really like what you just said about it being concise. But yeah. then, of course, we you know, in in trying to talk about it, we can we cannot be concise ourselves.
0: Or I whatever. mean, well, I you know, there was this, say, there was this time. Like, I think all of us, right? Like, I, 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 my sense of like spirituality and divine is like there is like a oneness, but it's also all of us have the divine in us. Yeah. And there are times when all of us are God. Yeah. And there's, there are times when all of us are shit, you know? When, when there are moments where we, like when, Ril- when Rilke writes a beautiful line or Ashbery writes a beautiful line or when you have a, a drawing or you have this moment of epiphany or I say something concise on stage, which I, I call a punchline or whatever. Yeah. Those are times when we are God, yeah. you know? And, and like, you know, I, I, I also struggle with anxiety and depression. I have a, a, you know, cognitive behavioral therapist that I work with every week. And yeah. I loved what she said. She was like, when... You have a lot to say about something, yeah. a lot of rationalizing. That's the ego speaking. Yeah. But when your higher power speaks, it's very concise. Yeah. And, just, and that's how you could tell apart when God speaks versus when somebody, el- when your own rational fears are speaking or defenses yeah. are speaking, your ego is speaking. And I was like, oh, that's a really simple way to put it. Like, I can always tell yeah. what's ra- right from wrong for me in the moment now.
1: Well, that's, that's interesting because, so you do CBT and I, my program was, was DBT dialectical, which is an option.
0: Interesting. I don't know what that is.
1: uh, Well, dialectical behavioral therapy is very related. I think it it came out of cognitive. Hmm. I think this, and I, so I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to explain my understanding of the differences. I might be oversimplifying it. So somebody, one of your listeners can correct me if that's not a problem, but I think part of the difference is from what I understand is that cognitive is more changing your thought patterns and dialectical is accepting them but just changing your behavior.
2: Oh. So for a guy like
1: me, you know, I also attended a 12-step program for sex and love addiction and it was mm-hmm. very easy for me to rationalize those things. Yeah. And if I try and change if I try to change my thought patterns, I tend to be in denial and then repress it and then sublimate it and then I'm fucked because then oh. I can rationalize my bad behavior. So it's better for me to actually leave my thought patterns. And and recognize that they're fucked up, but don't try and change them, and just change my behavior. And so I, I I I think I'm not quite as high up on the on the uh, evolutionary ladder, but that's okay.
0: I yeah. Yeah. No, we're all a work in progress, right? And even being able to say like, yeah, and that's okay. That's that's still self-acceptance, you know? And Well, it's also pragmatic
1: because the truth is I can't fucking change if I want to. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I mean, I I suppose if I if I had underwent some brain operation, that's a different story, but
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: Maybe probably not.
0: Maybe. I mean, who knows, you know? But it's like as long as we know and we have some, you know, mindful self-awareness, like Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the the best thing that we can ask for you know there's so many there were so many times when i would kind of drift through like uh you know you know the writer virginia Woolf, right
1: she's one of my favorites yes
0: it's, she has this really great essay called moments of being
1: i haven't read that one actually i know i've heard of it but i have not read it what does she, she say
0: she's basically describing mindfulness but right. i don't think she was you know but, but she is. That's what she's talking about. She was just yeah. saying in her essay how there's so many, uh, there's so much time in her day where she's not there, you uh-huh. know? Time yeah. is just kind of passing yeah. through. Life is just happening
2: right. to her
0: almost. And then yeah. And then there are times when she's like fully present and aware and conscious and grounded, you know, like a lot of, a lot of people use the word grounded a lot, a lot of spiritual people, a lot of people in LA use this word grounded a lot. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say grounded, what does that mean? They're like, oh, when I do this, I feel so grounded. I'm like, what is grounded? What does that mean? And I'm reading some book about like Reiki and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. in that book, they were like groundedness. And when you are fully in connection with your body and you're mindfully aware in the present moment that is groundedness. I was like, oh, so it's mindful awareness, uh-huh. being mindfully present in the moment. And I think that's what Wolf was talking about moments of being. Um,
2: yeah.
0: OK, and, and those moments or those times, I mean, when we do yoga, a lot of the times like that's that's us grounding ourselves, right, physiologically uh-huh. and, and uh-huh. mentally and spiritually. And I was just like, oh, this might run out of time soon. You okay. know what we can do like at. At five minutes, what I'll do is I'll, we'll step out and then we'll come back in. Okay, is sure. that okay? Because awesome. that other one I do have a subscription, but it's it's failing us right now. So don't worry about it. We're Sorry, a, easy. It's a little nah, ghetto. Fine. So yeah, thank you. I appreciate I like you uh, uh, understanding. Um, but yeah, like when you're when you're drawing or sketching, um, do you feel that kind of groundedness at all, or are you somewhere else, or does it just depend on the day?
1: I mean, I guess, I guess it depends. The truth is that, I don't know if this is gonna make sense, but like, like when I was painting those little TV images, which are literally this big, right? Yeah. They're, they're like an inch and a half. So they're ridiculously small, like yeah. postage stamp size. Yeah. But like when you're actually painting in there, and this is gonna sound like a, a, maybe a little hyperbolic, but the distance from the left to the right when you're really in there, feels yeah. like, it feels like a huge desert. Like it's like 25 miles or 2,500 miles long. And I really feel like I get lost in the terrain. That's the best word I can use of the painting. And like, I'm mindful of the fact that I am, I'm almost like, I'm almost like one of those science fiction, like microscopic creatures in a giant world or something. And yeah. and I'm aware that I'm in a, on a weird trip. Part of me is aware of that. The other part is fighting like hell just to get this stupid fucking fingernail right or whatever. And it's like, It's kind of like an emergency all the time. Yeah. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it's both at the same time, weirdly, when I'm really on it. And, um, you know, David Foster Wallace said something really accurate. He goes, after a really good day of writing, afterwards, you're tired in a a really good way. Like, Mm -hmm. you're tired in a way that you're tired when you've done really good work. And, Mm -hmm. like, that's almost the best measure to me when you're Mm -hmm. finished with that. And some days I would have that. Other days... I'd be like, fuck it, man. I'm never going to paint again, you know, and yeah, time to have a whiskey or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to be like, it's hard to feel consistent always, you know? And and I don't think we're meant to.
1: Because... I mean, I, I just given up. I mean, like, I just yeah. don't give a shit. Like, like, I think well, one of the things I tell my students is that the difference between, I hate the word amateur, but sometimes I use it. The difference between a hobbyist and a Full time artist. Mm-hmm. So, a full time artist just doesn't care about the low points and just just kind of pushes through. Sure. Soldier through that shit. Because, I mean, I, I remember one time when I was in college and my, the same teacher, I went to college and studied with the same teacher I studied privately, which was great. Mm-hmm. But one time he came in and he was a wonderful painter, technically. Yeah. He came yeah. in right before class and I'm like, dude, you don't look so like you're too happy right now. He looked really like distraught and like not present. Yeah. And he goes, man, You'd think after 40 or 50 years of painting, I could paint a fucking book. So he was obviously <laughs> painting a still life with a book in it. And he just couldn't get it. Yeah. I can imagine now, like he was, he was late for class. I mean, he was like, oh, I just have to finish this fucking book before I go to class. And he probably never finished it. He was really in a bad mood. Yeah. I'm like, dude, if, and again, he's just like the Gene Hackman thing. man. If, if this guy can't paint a book, we're all fucked because, <laughs> I mean, he knows how to do it, but he just had a whatever, man. It's just how it is.
0: Yeah, we're we're so like, how do you say we're so victim to the voice in our own head, right? Like this, oh, yeah. such a harsh critic in our
1: minds, and um, yeah. But you know that, but that, but on the other hand, I am also convinced that that same voice, if it's trained correctly, to behave well. Yeah. will actually can be converted to quality control so yeah. that you don't just settle for bullshit because that's uh-huh. a thing to do i don't know if you yeah. feel way like, right, about what you do but yeah
2: you seem yeah. like somebody
1: who, who is not gonna is not gonna put out a product that you don't believe in ultimately if you have a choice if you have a chance to 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 do something yeah. about
0: it yeah i mean yeah i have to believe in it and yeah you know it's it's me and I'm responsible for me and how I represent myself, and I want to yeah. represent myself correctly and right. Yeah. But there, there's also a side of me that is a bit uh, impatient. Oh. I don't know if you deal with that. But are you like, kidding me?
1: I'm the worst. I, 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 I will. I could lap you on that one. <laughs> a, I'm worse than you and B, I'm a lot older, so I've had way more time to, to, to to create those bad habits.
0: <laughs> so impatient, I'm so impatient. And like part of the reason why my my parents like sent me to get art classes and stuff was like to deal with that. Like, you know, I was a bit like ADHD-ish and like had a hard time sitting down and focusing. And yeah, um, yeah they were like, you know she's got to learn how to be patient. Like if, if I was given a package, I have to open it. Like, you know, I, I was like that kid. But um, yeah, sometimes that when I'm doing great. art, when I'm writing I can feel extremely impatient.
1: So. I mean, i'm pretty convinced that a lot of, listen man To i don't mean to go back to your previous question but part of the problem with painting for me is that i just wasn't patient enough to, to master it yeah and now i and now i know how to deal with it yeah but it's not it's i'm always feel like i'm swimming against the tide a little bit
0: right just totally.
1: I'm yeah it's yeah
0: okay. do you work with acrylic use you, you for the tv thing you said acrylic and water paint right
1: Yeah. I used, I used, a I used watercolor for some things and I used acrylic gouache and gouache is traditionally an opaque watercolor. Yeah. Um, But the problem with it, not to get all technical, but when you reactivate it, it comes, if you add water to it, it gets active again. So you can't layer it very easily. Oh, interesting. But acrylic gouache feels like gouache, looks like gouache, but handles like acrylic and dries. And then you can add layers. Great. So it's amazingly great. And now I'm using acrylics that called open acrylics by made by golden that if you use this medium handle like oils, they, they stay wet for one or even two days. So you can blend and man, you can, I do. They're amazingly. That's great.
0: wild. I didn't even know that they made that product. Cause I use golden acrylic too, but I, I don't use best. that I mean, one. They are
1: the best paint. I mean, yeah, the quality yeah. and they're expensive, but you pay They you can, but it's worth it, dude. I mean I,
0: I I love golden products. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the
1: guy I, I'm also working for this artist who's, I think this guy's a bona fide visionary genius, a guy named Tom Leduc, and an incredibly nice guy. Um, he kind of turned me on to him. And this guy is one of the like one of the best painters I've ever met, period. Un- yeah. Unbelievable, this guy.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, since we're uh, a K drama podcast and I know yeah. that you're into Korean television. Absolutely. Um, well, let me ask you. What Korean drama did you watch first, like ever? Like yep. when was it and how yep. did you come across it?
1: Okay, well, my uh, my fiance is Korean American um, and we've been friends for a long time. So anyway, K-dramas are one of the things that we really did kind of early on that, I mean, I had not seen them, but I, I you know, my favorite movie that I've seen in the last 20 years is Parasite. And I suppose mm. that that maybe kind of primed me for that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we watched two at once, although we ended up not, I ended up not finishing. We watched Crash Landing on You, which I didn't finish, but it was amazing. Yeah. But the, my favorite is still Itawan Class, which yeah. I, I love that one. I still do. Um, yeah. It's about pretty that stylistic movie, too. Oh man. It, it. I was blown away by how beautifully shot that one is mm-hmm. and, and the acting. I mean, I don't know, the whole thing. I yeah. like, I like, I like, it was almost like a samurai revenge tale and like, yeah, Korean drama form or something. For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I li- love the guy who played Saroy. I can't remember his name, but now he's, now V from uh, BTS is, is doing a reality show with him and the guy from, the, guy, the kid from Parasite. And they're like, yeah, hanging out. yeah I, get, I haven't seen it yet. But anyway, yeah. um, and and the truth is I've seen a bunch, I've been, seen a bunch of pieces of a bunch of them, but I've never finished them. You know, we watched, um, Kingdom, right? The, the mm-hmm. zombie one, which I loved. It's a um, great one. Great one. Um, and I started watching the one you told me about, it, and I'm kind of just one episode in, but it looks amazing, yeah.
0: My liberation uh, notes?
1: Yeah, the problem is, Grace, I, I get up at four in the morning. I mean, dude, I could be, I could be watching like the craziest action film at night and I fall asleep. I just, the, 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 K-dramas are an hour and a half, man. And I could never make it through. Yeah. Just, I'm really into it yeah there's also one about a fencing a girl fencer oh yeah 2129 yeah 2129
0: yeah. yeah. seen- is really good um that right. one it, it's written by somebody who wrote search www I don't know and that one. it's uh like in both shows like I already covered this in my one of my podcast episodes where I talk about 2129 but it's got this like Very intense, like lesbian subtext, in in both of those shows. Yeah, it's it's about like female friendships, but the female friendships are way more like dominant than their the the hetero relationships that these girls have with their male partners. It's almost as if the male partners like don't even matter. It's like these their bond is way more important. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like I I read them as like coded queer shows. Well, I mean,
1: even Ichiwan had all these interesting, it's almost, one of the things I like about him is that it actually reminded me of when I read Moby Dick, I don't know if you ever read Moby Dick, but um, there are these, like, chapters just about whaling, like, they're almost like infomercials about, like, this is what the book's about, and stylistically, you might think this is fucked up and totally breaks the flow, but they're actually really cool, I remember in Ichiwan, there's a whole, there's a character who's kind of, she probably is, like, like, likes girls, right, and, Mm -hmm. and, Then there's like the tolerance Mm -hmm. lecture. I mean, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and there's a bunch of stuff about like economic fiscal responsibility. (laughs) I'm just like, this is so weird, but cool. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: no, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating what K-dramas like get used for and what each show, like the function of each. And like, Mm -hmm. sometimes there is this like a nationalistic or socioeconomic purpose driven kind of text or, um, yeah. yeah like t- analyzing all of that can it can be super an- uh, uh, interesting um, sure. with it on class though that was based on a webtoon and that kind of oh, contributes yeah it kind of contributes to the tone of like that high stylization I in did. the show uh, but yeah it's based on a webtoon a lot of webtoons end up becoming k-dramas actually you know i don't um, know
1: what a webtoon is to be honest with so you it's
0: it's a very korean concept it's basically huh. like like comic it's like graphic novels but it's right. online I and see. webtoon oh. yeah okay. and it's like a lot of koreans um read them like kind of like how japanese like you know salaried oh, men yeah. and women will read manga on the train yeah. like Korean right. people will r- read webtoons oh, that are right. on like these major platforms like Naver, which is like Korea's Google or whatever. Like they'll go on those sites and they'll, or Talum, Talam is like the Yahoo of Korea. They'll go right. on these sites and they'll read these webtoons and then they'll follow it. There's a fandom around it. A lot of webtoon artists have celebrity status in Korea. A lot right. of those uh, webtoon artists will end up doing variety shows as sp- spokespeople. Um, right. But those webtoons as many graphic novels tend to be, they they are easily adaptable for the screen, right? Sure. So yeah. webtoons and uh, K-dramas, have, they're a big part of the whole media ecosystem. I'm gonna check out them there. out actually, now that you told me about them for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yes. love graphic
1: novels actually. I mean, it, yeah. I, I there's a part of me that wants to make one, but I'm a terrible, I, one of my things that I know I'm not good at and not that I will ever be good at it is narrative. Weirdly, mm. I'm terrible. I'm mm. not the guy to write. I'm not a good writer. No, it's okay um but I love reading it I'm a huge fiction reader like I love it yeah and poetry interesting yeah
0: yeah no because you are very well read I mean you know like uh like visual art I think that's sort of the tricky thing like um like I'm I'm a writer first and Mm -hmm. you know for me like I feel the opposite way of course really? uh yeah i've been i've been working on a feature documentary actually with my friend katherine she's a she's a children's book illustrator right. um she graduated nyu tish she majored in filmmaking and her specialization was animation and you know like she never really pursued it even though she and i did collaborate on a short film together like oh, a little okay. short animated film together oh, years cool. ago uh but yeah like she and I talk about it all the time she's always like I wish I was a better writer I wish I had this narrative skill and I'm like I wish I could draw like you and make animations like you you know so it's it's always the like grass is always greener right oh for and, sure
1: and I mean but now I've realized that's what collaboration is I mean I'm really into collaborating now even though yeah. my practice is very solitary right yeah but yeah I was actually in an in a, I was in an artistic collaboration for like Eight or nine years before I moved to LA with a friend of mine, yeah. Richard. His name is Richard Kraft, and he's a fucking amazing artist on his own. Yeah, right Yeah, um, we, we're not collaborating at the moment, but but it, we, we made large mixed media installations, and it was really fun.
0: That sounds super fun, and it has to be fun. Like otherwise, it's it's like what the fuck. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I tell that to my students. You know, like the word fun takes a bad rap, but I mean, yeah, you know, for me, like painting TVs is fun. So I mean, that's it is relative. I mean, right. Yeah
0: yeah yeah no it's it's gotta be fun like i i agree i mean this is also like very strict like kind of parenting thing too like a lot of strict parents you know make it hard for children to indulge in fun but like uh everything has to be fun all the time like i think that is what the point of this existence is like just to have fun. And you I know, agree with you, hundred percent. Right? Like we're talking about how it's, it's hard to feel consistent all the time and be consistent all the time. But it's like, if it were that way, we'd be bored as fuck. And that's why we have these ups and downs and dramas and traumas and shit. Um,
1: well, I mean, that's interestingly, I, that's one of the things I love about K-dramas and K-pop. I mean, you know, Jeanette, my fiance and I went to see BTS in, in, in LA. Yeah, Dude, yeah. I mean, look, you would not have pegged me for a pop music guy, although I really like it now. But yeah, besides, I, I still say the best show I've ever seen for me yeah. was two nights in a row at the Hollywood Bowl Radiohead. And those, I mean, they're my favorite. Yeah. But I got to say, man, BTS, Thursday night, right at, right before Christmas, right after Thanksgiving, here yeah. in, at SoFi Stadium is very close second. It man. was one of the best shows. I mean, those guys brought the... Sh- and they are I mean, I think that Sugar and RM and j-hope are artists i mean they really are true artists and rm is like going to be a major art collector that dude is like collecting he's already doing it
0: yeah dude there's a thoughtful
1: guy i mean he's got soul all of them do actually yeah Yeah, i really think they're special guys for real i'm not just saying yeah yeah i mean
0: you know like bts is like it's it's a major they're a major phenomena and and like the fact that they're collecting art does not surprise me Uh, when we were at your at the gallery with the with your work I I mentioned this but like Big Bang you Uh know they were like the BTS 10 years ago but they have like you know paintings worth tens of millions of dollars like you know I mean most
1: most large companies actually do have an art collection truthfully because because art turns out to be sometimes better investment than the stock market because it Mm -hmm. rarely goes down. I mean, it it can, but it's a pretty damn good investment, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. These
1: days, you know? That's
0: interesting. Why do you think that is? Is it because we're investing in the person or...
1: Uh, well, I, you know, I think that it's the same, you know, my dad, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, my dad, we never had a lot of money growing up and my dad died young and my dad was a classical violinist. And in 1972, he bought a $40,000 violin made in 1731 at the same time as Stradivarius. Oh
0: my God.
1: Now, when he died in 1990, my mom sold it for over a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. Of yeah. course. And so of she course. invested the money and now she has a little, she's not super rich, but yeah anyway, so beautiful things never go out of style. And I think it's just like in dark times, people like nice things. Yeah. I and mean, I'm oversimplifying it. But art is something that the popular imagination thinks can't be done by normal people. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't even agree with that. But mm-hmm. it has an aura around it. That's the reason fucking NFTs, you could, I mean, it, that is another phenomenon that is truly bizarre. Although yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So if you can get the, the public to, uh, you know kick in its, po- its popular imagination to the wonder of something they will pay for it man
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. I think I think you're right um, artists do have this aura around them I mean I don't agree know, with it most of the BTS, time by the it's also like a projection right like people projecting like you know it's kind of like how you and I we idolize certain figures like you know filmmakers or writers or what have you it's like it's it's human it's nature f- to do that it's a fandom thing. Yeah. To have sure. admiration and awe. And yeah. well, um,
1: listen, I, I was, I was, I was walking down the street with my, with my friend and the guy who I helped Tom, Tom Leduc on, he lives on Larchmont and we were going to get coffee. And then we walked by Conan O'Brien, who is one of my heroes. Yeah, dude. I, I get tongue tied. I couldn't say anything. This guy, my friend was like, dude, I, I think you're awesome. And he high-fived him. And Conan was was like, cool, man. I mean, he was so cool. Yeah. yeah. I was just like losing my shit.
0: <laughs> yeah. I oh, I say. love Conan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, he's amazing. The fact that he doesn't do a, a late night show anymore breaks my heart because I when know. I was, when I was like first starting out, I was like, my dream is to do a five minute set on Conan. Like a Conan, lot of, is- a lot of people have that like fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Like doing, doing a five minute spot on late night TV. That's like a marker in a comics career. And i bet
1: you're going to do it. You will do it. <laughs> You will manifest that. I bet. You know, I yeah. just, this is on a much smaller scale, but this last week, the last with the week, the couple of weeks after my show closed, yeah, literally I met with three people and now I'm working for my friend, Tom, who I, I literally have been kind of hanging out and doing studio visits and just interacting with people who are my artistic heroes in Los Angeles, who I yeah. would like, would have written fan letters to. And it's really tripping me out. You know, it's not like they're household names. This is all these are all small bubble worlds. But sure. this is shit, man. Yeah. I I'm like I'm getting like letters of support and there really people like, "Dude, I really like your show." From people it, I mean, it would be like getting a letter from Richard Pryor or whatever, you know. Yeah. He, yeah. It's really and I'm not saying it's cuz I'm good. It's just it just happened. I mean, people are supportive and nice, but it really is meant an enormous amount to me. It over, I never thought I would get to this point ever. I, I didn't even think I was going to ever make art again when I was depressed. So mm. it's really crazy how things can flip if you if you click into the. You know, John Ashbery. Speaking of him, always talks about like if you can just dip your dipper into the into the unconscious river. Yeah. That's yeah. how he writes, man. He's it's like it just it just does itself, and yeah. like he doesn't mean it egotistically. He means it. I mean, I know what he means. Yeah. that's
0: that's the truth though it's like you know it's kind of like it's not even when we're making something great it's not even the self that's making it
1: no it goes you're a conduit I mean that's what Stravinsky said I don't know if you're you know I love classical music too and the Rite of Spring the piece by Igor Stravinsky which you know caused riots when it I mean it still is a shocking piece not because it's like weird it's just the energy is is shocking and Mm -hmm. like super visceral and sexual and amazing. And like he said, I didn't write the Rite of Spring. It, it, you know, it, it wrote itself through me and he was not bullshitting, man. I mean, I know what he means. Yeah. Even, even my TV piece, which I would not put on the level of anything that great.
2: Yeah. I
1: literally saw it flashed in my head as a finished image. And this is unusual for me. I made a 10 minute thumbnail sketch of that thing right after I got the idea back in 2010. Dude, that piece looks almost exactly like my sketch for the most part, which is yeah. weird.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: I think I was just dipping into like the larger universal whatever, I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. I, and you know what? Like you keep, you know, kind of downsizing it, but no, it's your oh. that piece is amazing. It's no, really. It's I, really remarkable. Oh, yeah. I, think,
1: I mean, I I don't know if it's remarkable, but I I do stand by it. I think it's a strong piece and I feel like I can be in a conversation with some of the people who I have admired. That that's yeah. how I read it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. and it's like it's got joy in it too. Like oh, you. you know, all the little like I mean, you have like piano teacher in there. You have yeah. like you know, Battle okay, Potemkin. Mm-hmm. You have like you know, now, Radio you Radiohead. You have so many like references in there that are like great, and you know, people like filmmakers or films you admire or love. Like there's a lot of love and joy in there, and it's but it's also culturally relevant. You know, like I yeah, was,
1: it's interesting. I I was trying to work on lots of levels, although you know what. It doesn't have as any k-pop but i'm doing another one and i'm i'm gonna have all seven guys from bts for sure <laughs> separately it's yeah. all the only faces though and i'm gonna have a bunch of you know the, the thing that i think the key is to not try and be too objective you know uh-huh. you can take things from the world and try and be kind of you know journalistically uh magnanimous but yeah yeah but but you don't want to be i don't want to be just like a cold journalist so Dude, there's gonna be a lot of each and one. I mean, I'm just gonna put stuff in from things that I think are important, or brought yeah. me joy, or horror, or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's so much more fun living life as an artist because you know when I was teaching, I was teaching undergraduates for like film and TV oh, studies, and they, know
2: that.
0: yeah, because I I got my doctorate at UCLA, and that's where uh-huh. I was, you know, and I I would teach uh, undergraduates, and like yeah. they would they would ri- want to write a paper about a show that they love, but mm-hmm. Problematize it, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, as if they're they're trying to cater to somebody or pander. And
1: right, I see. Yeah, it's
0: like that's how we were training students, and yeah, I don't believe in that at all anymore you know it's like those papers we don't need them at all like what we what i would prefer is because sometimes they would ask me that they're like when are we going to get a tv show that just doesn't make these mistakes and i was like (laughs) if you're if you're if you're waiting around for somebody to make something that you want you're setting yourself up for disappointment like if there's something that you want then you should go out and make that thing um that's the only answer and the and if that is the answer then yeah you do have to take all the risks and go and be the thing that you want to be.
1: Well, I've been talking with my, my friend, Tom, the guy I work for again, a lot. And actually speaking of Battleship Potemkin, I mean, he's a huge film fan and, you know, I think Eisenstein talked about how there has to be like a gap between logical expectation and the delivery of whatever it is. And he talks about how art begins when the image of the boot is not accompanied by the sound of it quite right, or a totally different sound, that, that there has to be, or the flickers of the film. I mean, good luck making the perfect object. And it's like the line from the Bob Dylan, line, that, 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 that song, uh, Visions of Johanna, where he says, the Mona Lisa must have had the high white blues. I can tell by the way she smiles. Mm-hmm. This is what, this is what infinity, infinity goes up on trail. Like, dude, if you think you want to be in heaven, but it's not that interesting, man. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe our idea of heaven as perfection yeah it's impossible and b i mean dude it'd be fucking boring man yeah
0: yeah like why like don't rely on yourself and whatever you think is the best or greatest thing ever because yeah it's not it's not gonna be it's like again it goes back to self-trust or trust in like the higher consciousness yeah they like they have a better idea of yeah. what you think is paradise, you know, well, time even and time the idea of wabi
1: sabi in, in in Japanese ceramics or art, mm-hmm. you know, the I mean, the fatal flaw is what makes things beautiful. I mean, it, you know, I remember studying a lot of Symbolist um, philosophy and you know, nineteenth century. I, I think Charles Baudelaire said that and I'm not saying this is a hard rule, but it's kind of a good one, you know, we can only call something beautiful that has an element of horror or disgust in it, mm-hmm. it has, yeah. its, it has a seed of its own destruction in it, in there, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a little lofty, but I, I kind of think it's the same thing we're talking about,
0: I agree, I agree, yeah. it's like, you know, there's certain um, actors or actresses, like, whose faces are, like, there's something about it that's, like, it's a little off-putting, but, yeah. I wanna see them in everything, you know. You who's know,
1: who's like that for me is uh Bobby what the Bobby Lee, the Bobby con- Lee? Yeah. I <laughs> mean, yeah, I I my my this friend of mine from uh Portland had this theory about what we would, you know, be dating girls or we we're trying to date girls and yeah. he had this idea of the, the attraction repulsion principle, which is mm-hmm. you really want to get with the girl who is kind of like attractive but also you feel a little repulsed by but then there's something there. Yeah, yeah Bobby Lee is so cringy to me, but but then I can't stop, but he's so human. And I, the guy's so vulnerable. What do you think of him? I'm curious.
0: I love Bobby Lee's okay, comedy. I love yeah. Bobby Lee. And you know, there are like, my theory behind Bobby Lee is like, he's like a fat round Asian dude. <laughs> and you know, when we think of like the laughing Buddha who's fat round Asian yeah. dude, it's like okay. there, it, there, there's a inherent and internally lovable principle yeah. about that as a yeah. being as a concept and therefore Bobby Lee will be eternally and inherently lovable to all because he is like this laughing Buddha replica. And there are a lot of fat round Asian comics like Dante Chang's another one. Like Uh people are just naturally drawn to them and And mm -hmm. it's because of
1: that. um, uh, Jeanette recently showed me videos by the the older uh, K-pop guy G-Dragon, is that his name? Uh, Yeah,
0: he's from Big Bang, yeah
1: right i mean that dude is so fun to i i I would love to see him perform i know his his concerts probably cost so much but yeah he is fun to watch that guy man like he doesn't seem to have an ego but he can strut though man it's an interesting combination
0: like he's been training to be a k-pop star since age five so yeah he's like not even a person he's like born bred designed to be a celebrity and i i agree like there's something about him that's like very androgynous
1: yeah. um there's like he's very warm it's so like he yeah. is he has i know what you mean but yeah he's
0: like he's like such a celebrity like such a star like right um and yeah like it's like i can't stop looking at him you know yeah. like yeah everything he, he, does really, so he really seems to
1: laugh at himself so he reminds mm-hmm. me of conan in that sense where conan even has yeah. talked about this in interviews where he's like he always pointed at himself in the end and it's always hilarious, but yet it's admirable somehow. And you, yeah.
0: The the self-deprecation. Yeah. That's, that's Conan O'Brien.
1: But still, but still, but still he can still be a star as somehow. I mean, it's yeah. Amazing. Yeah
0: it's like a it's a like humility you know it's like a form of humility and and it is in the case of Conan O'Brien it's like a genuine self-loathing thing right. that stems oh, yeah. from his Irish yeah. Catholic upbringing yeah, as know. well well yeah. I
1: mean actually you know to me there's something in Korean culture I don't know if it's Asian in specific completely mm-hmm. but it's also Korean like Jeanette and I were watching reality dating shows there's this one called is it Singles Inferno I, I don't know yeah. called. you know it so, like, I,
0: I've seen it on Netflix. It oh, yeah, up. yeah.
1: So, like, the first time we watched it, I was just like, What the, f-? you know, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like the bachelor opposite. It's like yeah. everybody's nice to each other. They yeah. all help each other. Yeah. You're like, Oh, and all the hosts are like rooting for them, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. Like, gee, this is so. Beautiful in a way, like, (laughs) yeah, not American, it's hilarious. It's
0: very polite, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, there's a like, I wrote my whole doctoral dissertation on Korean variety shows, and Mm. there's this one show, it's no longer on air, but it was on air from 2005 to 2018, so a long time, and it dominated dominated the Saturday evening slot for like a long time. Uh, but it's called Infinite Challenge, and it's like six, uh, comedians mm-hmm. and all they do is like just fucking tear one another down and okay. fight and you know so it it depends like yeah. com- the comedians in Korea they are all about yeah. bringing like destroying themselves destroying right. their images destroying Indeed. one another it's very right. cutthroat uh but when it comes to other others like uh-huh like singers or like actresses or other like golf players whatever Mm -hmm. uh if they have a certain status and it's like it's not a like a comedy show they Uh, do a lot to maintain good social graces decorum uh not like you know fucking impose on one another it's it's Uh, really fascinating like how that line gets drawn
1: well i can't imagine but you can you can answer this but i can't imagine that even The meanest comedians in Korea are as bad as the Japanese, those shows where they do. Actually, the
0: the Japanese comedy, like variety comedy, where it's like they push things to the limit, like very physically abusive as well. All of that was copied by Korean producers in the early age of television when Uh Korea was still struggling with like what kind of programming do we come up with we have the we have the technology now but how do we come up with programs how how do we come up with content a lot of them flew to Japan they would sit in hotels watch tv for like 30 hours and then fly back to Korea and then have a meeting on Monday and then fucking replicate the exact same thing Uh and then of course over the years like like Koreans started to make it a little more subjective a little more idiosyncratic and it's evolved into its own thing but Yeah, it, it, it's, interesting. yeah, it mirrors that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's I'm, like very masochistic and sadist. I'm,
1: I'm super, I mean, I've never been to Asia. It's really weird. Really?
0: Well, no. you've never been to Korea yet?
1: I've never been. And, I, and here's the thing, like my, back in 1985, I took an Asian art history class. And then in 86, I took a, an Asian history class in, way in college. And both really changed my entire paradigm of, of what culture and art is, yeah. like for real. Yeah. So, but, and ironically, I've never been there. And I'm so the first time I'm going to Asia, I'm going to Korea and I'm also getting married there. I'm getting right, married in Seoul. Right. So it's just going to be, it's just super trippy, but you're going to have a great time. Oh, yeah. I'm super I mean, I'm yeah. super excited for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you yeah. know where you're going to be besides Seoul?
1: I don't. I mean, I, we, I think I have three and a half weeks, you know, and the wedding okay. date is not even quite set yet. We're still working on that, but yeah. Uh, I mean, dude, I. Don't I mean I it is we're doing a traditional Korean wedding I'm wearing a hanbok I mean it's going to be full on man
0: Yeah that's I exciting know, That's I'm, exciting I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, I love new experiences now I I'm that's where I'm the opposite I used to be super scared of the world and like change was terrifying so the old me would have been like hiding under you know I would never have gotten out of the airport but I'm I I'm am like let's let's go man it's, yeah. it's great Yeah
0: that's amazing. And you know, it's 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 interesting because like I've been having similar conversations with a lot of people lately, but it's usually like the things that you're afraid of tend to be the things that you want the most. And Definitely. once yeah. we admit that to ourselves and then yeah. just go for it, that's when we're the most happy. And
1: Well, even artistically, I don't know if you feel this way, but like if I'm if there's an idea that feels like too much or, you know, like actually it's funny because I'm just over at my table, I'm looking at this sketch that I literally started this huge piece in 2007 or eight and I abandoned it because I thought it was cheesy and I didn't like it and I destroyed it but I was smart enough to take a picture of it and I'm like I found the file about three weeks ago and I'm wow. just like dude that was like what the fuck is wrong with you that was actually a good idea it's going to be a six by nine foot painting in about I'm starting in about two days
0: that's so, so great
1: yeah, man, it's really interesting if you just get out of your own way. But that's—I mean, I say it that way, but that's not that easy to do sometimes.
0: So, would you would you then uh, advise uh, artists not to destroy their work ever? No, oh, I, no, I
1: actually wouldn't say that because, as Philip Gustin, who's one of my heroes, said, sometimes you, you have to destroy things because you're not ready to to do them yet. Oh. And 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 destruction—it's just like it, it's just like Zen or you know. Mm-hmm you have destruction is part of life and if you don't just if you if you actually here's my analogy joseph campbell you know the mythologist talked about the difference between the eastern dragon and the western dragon you know the the chinese dragon is about life and prosperity and embracing the world Mm -hmm. the western dragon it hoards is a hoarder and greedy and it hoards two things it can't use virgins Mm. and gold (laughs) <laughs> Can't do anything with either of them. <laughs> what the fuck, man? But that's and so the myth is basically like Saint George kills a dragon. You're slaying, you're slaying the greedy, you know, hoarder who's afraid of life, you know. And mm. I was, the, I was the Western dragon for fi- for basically fifty four years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No longer, man. Not doing that shit.
0: Well, congratulations on becoming this Eastern dragon, man.
1: This... <laughs> well, I'm not sure I've become that yet, but I'm more, at least I know I'm trying to.
0: You're on your way.
1: I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's great. Thanks. Well, I, I, I'm excited for for everything that that you. you know you're looking forward and ahead to, and congratulations on on the uh, the wedding that's coming up. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If you and and your fiance have time, like let's hang out in Absolutely New York. Absolutely. We
1: no, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to hit you up, and and I'm I, I don't know if I should do this publicly, but I definitely would love to have you on my podcast. Though it's going to be amateur hour compared to you, but but I would love definitely- to you'll definitely give it yeah. some street cred
0: yeah i i know I, we'll I would love to i would love to it's after, it's, after new york. it's a it's a pleasure it's oh, it's a pleasure talking to you so yeah 100 percent.
1: i really appreciate it and uh hopefully we'll have some, we'll drink we can drink some soju in new york down yeah that sounds down good down in east, east village or something
0: sounds good man